You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, it's James Lapine, and you're listening to And the Tony Goes To. It's a look back at Broadway's most magical night And all of the winners reminisce with delight With their talent and brilliance, they always impress And the Tony goes to my special guest Have you ever dreamed of winning a Tony Award? Did you ever practice your Tony acceptance speech in the bathroom mirror? Did you grow up watching the Tony Awards every year? Do you have a collection of Tony Award shows on VHS tape that you refuse to throw out? Well, then this is the podcast for you. Every week, I interview your favorite Tony Award winners, and together we go down memory lane as my guests share intimate and never-before-shared details about their Tony experience. By the end of every episode, you're going to feel like you just won a Tony. Welcome to And the Tony Goes To. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Welcome today's Tony winner, James Lapine. And the Tony Award goes to Passion Book James Lapine. Uh, uh, I would like to congratulate all the nominees and uh, anyone who's written a book for a musical. Um, everyone deserves a, an award that's written a book for a musical. Um, uh, I'd like to thank uh, Steve Sondheim for being a great collaborator and a great friend. Uh, Lincoln Center for giving us our start. And wonderful Broadway producers, uh, Jerry Schoenfeld, Bernie Jacobs, Roger Berlin, Scott Rudin, ABC Caps for uh, standing by us when uh, things were looking kind of rough. A great company, all of you. I know you're at Roses, so have a margarita for me. Thanks so much. And uh, Adrian Lobel for a great set. And um, particularly uh, Sarah Kernigan. Thanks. Hi, James Lapine. Hello. When is the last time you heard that speech? 1988, was it? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know if I even heard it. I don't think I've ever. Yeah, I don't think I've ever um, listened to it, to tell you the truth. So did any feelings come up? Did any visceral memories come up in listening to it that you can share? <laughs> well, visceral memories. Um, I certainly didn't remember Bernadette being the one to make that announcement. That was sweet. Um, but no, actually, it seems kind of abstract and distant, to be perfectly honest. 
Well, what's really incredible is, you know, when I asked you to come on the show, you have many Tony Awards and I asked you to choose between Into the Woods and Falsettos and Passion, uh, which you would want to focus on today. And you immediately said passion and that there were some tales to be shared that may well, not be known to too many outside the inner circle of, of the people who created this show. And so I would love to hear anything you want to share, but I guess I would just begin with one question, which was why passion? Why this show? Why did you and Stephen Sondheim want to make it? Well, it's a good question. Um, our other two um, shows together were kind of more uh, driven from discussion and were, I guess you could say, more original musicals in the sense that they were not really based on anything uh, other than a painting and some fairy tales. But um, this was a movie that Steve saw called Passione d'Amore uh, by an Italian director at Torre Scola and had always stuck with him. And um, he always had a passion, no pun intended for it. And um, so uh, I said I would watch the movie, which I did. Um, and on further investigation, I discovered that it was actually a movie based on a book um, by uh, a, I guess it was late 19th century Italian writer. And I was able to get a hold of the Italian version of the book and we had it translated. And when I read the book, I, I thought that the material there really lent itself to a musical. So that's how it sort of came to be. And uh, I sat down to write it. And when you said that there were things about the kind of um, adventure of putting this musical together, I'm I'm going to say challenging. Maybe that wasn't true. Maybe that's not the right word to describe no, trying to put it word. up. It's the perfect word, Alana. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't challenging to write until we got into the theater and had an audience, and then it became challenging. But up to that point, um, it was um, it was fun um, and adapting something in many ways is easier than it is to create something from scratch. Um, and uh, I really love these three main characters. And um, we did a uh, workshop of it. Originally, I thought it should be a sung through musical. Mm -hmm. And we sort of were moving towards that. And we did a little little one of these reading slash workshops, more reading than workshop. And Steve um, really was vehement about it not being sung through. And he, of course, turned out to be right. And um, but it's very operatic, really. The subject matter is operatic and and in the score in certain ways is as well, uh, which is why I thought it would make for a kind of sung through piece. Um but for those who don't know the plot of it, it's very, uh, I guess you'd say, dark. And it was interesting with the movie, I went and read some, a review in the New York Times of the movie, which kind of called it a comedy, as I remember. Well, I didn't find it a comedy at all, actually. It's about a very unattractive, um, extremely sickly woman of a certain age who becomes totally fixated on a very handsome uh, army uh, captain, 
um, in the 19th century and focuses all of her attention on him and all but smothers him to the point of driving him crazy. And ultimately, she succeeds in getting him to fall in love with her. So it's a kind of gothic tale, I guess you would call it. When we did it as a, as a, a workshop, uh, we had, you know, maybe 60 people in a very small room. And um, they, they just loved it. You know, it was very, very well received. And we, uh, the intimacy of it, the intensity of it, the... Um, daringness of it was really embraced by these couple of audiences we had at this presentation. And we immediately were picked up to go to Broadway and we worked on the material, Steve and I always do. And it was exciting and we had a terrific cast and we got to Broadway and we had our dress rehearsal and people were laughing. And I thought, oh, this is strange. Why are they laughing? (laughs) Not (laughs) the intention. Well, it's a show, to cut to the chase, it's a show that made people uncomfortable because it made people really question what is beauty, uh, what what is love, um, who are we in this story, are we the ugly one or the beautiful one? Uh, There's also, it's really a love triangle for this guy between a very beautiful, sexy married woman who he's been having an affair with and this very unattractive, abrasive, uh, I guess you'd call her a spinster, who uh, lived on the um, compound of where he was stationed as an army officer. Right. And uh, at first we sort of dismissed a little bit the dress rehearsal, but once the real audiences came, we discovered that they not only didn't like the show, but they were enraged by it, certain members of the audience. It just upset them. Uh, And they found it unfathomable that this guy would fall in love with this woman. Mm -hmm. And that's when our work began, trying to figure out how we could tell the story we wanted to tell without it being dumbed down or or unnecessarily made, uh, you know, palpable for people. but also to understand the emotional and psychological dynamics of the situation in which an audience could really uh, ask themselves, who am I, you know, in this story? And what do I think of love? And what do I think of beauty? And um, uh, what, what exactly are these things that we talk about so much, but don't really uh, take a really good look at? You know, I read somewhere that you... And, and maybe this is inaccurate or maybe it is accurate that you felt like you and, and Steven really understood Fosca as a character. Is that fair to say, or did you discover it as you went? Well, I think we were attracted to her as a character. And of course, you know, off the page or even of a movie, I mean, you have to make it your own. And we definitely made this, this, Musical has very little, if anything, to do with the movie version mm-hmm. of the of the adaptation of the book. Um, I think we related to the woman. Um, I think what my challenge was, and then Steve's challenge was, was to make her um, not likable so much, but to make her point of view sympathetic in a way that an audience could understand. And um, 
the show uh, was very rocky in previews until we were able to really find the moment to help the audience to understand uh, what this woman was about and that her behavior, though it might be laughable, uh, also has an ache at the center of it and is really passion. It's a show about passion. And I think what we were dealing with, which I still to this day, why I love the show so much is um, I think we can often live in a passionless life. I think we don't live life at the kind of peak of emotion that a character like Fosca does. And to that degree, she is in some ways more alive than we are in our day-to-day lives. Um, also, because she's sickly, because her future is dim and she knows that she's probably going to die at some point from her illnesses, that every minute of the day is is of import to her and, and her passions. So, um, you know, I think it it's just that, as I said, it, these themes probably live more easily in an opera than they do in a, in a Broadway musical. Can we talk about Donna Murphy and the casting of Donna at the center of this incredible piece with, with our beloved uh, Marin Maisie, who we lost recently? Yeah. Um, so beautifully cast together as well with yes. with Jerry Shea in the middle. Um, how did you find your Fosca? Well, I'm, I was aware of Donna. I don't remember why, and I don't believe we had worked together prior, but I certainly knew who she was and had seen her in, in shows, um, although she certainly didn't have the high profile that she was to have after this show of ours. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes somebody just walks in the room and she had a song and scene to learn and um, it was just there. I don't know how else to put it. I think Donna is one of our bravest performers and I think that's what was such a wonderful marriage because she didn't wait to step into a role or a rehearsal or whatever. She dives in from the deep end. And, and finds her way that way. And um, the biggest problem with Donna is she's so beautiful. And one of the, <laughs> maybe one of the things I did, uh, which was in retrospect, not the wisest thing I've ever done, was I did everything in my, in my power to make her unattractive. And I'm sure she, if you had her on, she'd talk about all the moles I stuck on her and, the, and her receding hairline. I mean, the woman in the movie is quite, borderline grotesque and anorexic. And I guess I was taking my cue from that, but I think I had succeeded so much that she was off-putting and laughable. And part of our process was figuring out how many moles to take off, how to right. lower the hairline. Right. <laughs> and, and come to a place that works. More stickly than on a yeah. track. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think that, she, the character of Fosca, manipulates Giorgio into loving her, or would he have fallen in love with her anyway? No, she she seduced him in not a sexual way, but right. in an emotional way. And I think what she did, here is this gorgeous guy, never been married, having an affair with a married woman with a child. 
Um, he was a, um, a rewarded uh, military man who fought battles, was a hero of sorts uh, in his work and life in that regard. And I think she, as a character and as a person in uh, between two people, you know, was the one who saw beneath all that mm-hmm. and felt that this was a man who had goodness to him because the way they connect is through books. She is she lives her life through books and is a great reader. And she discovers this captain who comes to this somewhat heathen, uh, you know, um, encampment and finds that there's actually a military guy who reads as well. And he shares his books with her and they talk about uh, books. They talk about stories. Um, And I think that is their connection. She's, she's not, at first you would just assume this guy's gorgeous. You see him at the beginning of the show with a gorgeous woman and they're naked. And, and that's what we think of when we think of passion and, um, and she sees beneath, that in him and loves what's good underneath his appearance under, underneath this heroic uh, exterior um, to find someone who's quite vulnerable and sensitive. And that's the way she works her, her way in, into his life uh, to the point to which he discovers what it means to truly be loved. And um, it comes to a head in the story when he goes back to, confront his mistress about leaving her husband and and becoming his wife. And uh, she puts him off and says, when my child's older, da-da-da-da-da-da. And he realizes that there was probably a great deal of protection in having an affair with a married woman because you can't really commit. Right. There's no real commitment to that. And um, I think for the first time he began to understand that, for instance, the commitment he had to being a brave soldier and doing what he needed to do for his troops and to save a life is something that has to translate into a person's life as well. Mm -hmm. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk to me a little bit. I mean, you and Sondheim have had such an extraordinary uh, collaboration and, um, you know, it will go down in history as just one of the most incredible partnerships of the theater. And, I wish um, it were longer, but it didn't turn out to be longer. But I, I'm very proud of the three shows we wrote together and the other ancillary projects we did. So thank you for saying that. Why, why isn't it longer? 
Well, that's a really, that's a big question. And um, I just think it worked out that way. It seemed whatever I would bring to him to work on didn't really interest him. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, life is funny. It just, it it didn't end, end. It just, we never were able to find the next project. And because the three projects we did were both so special to us both, I think, um, Perhaps on his end, he was looking for the fourth mm-hmm. that had the same kind of appeal. And maybe the things that I brought to him um, were not really things I thought I could do well. And and he had this show about um, these brothers. Uh, and I, I couldn't really quite get into that thing that he brought to me. So I think that's all it was, frankly. And, you know, you blink your eyes and a decade goes by. It's kind of scary, but uh, it's just turned out to be that. Yeah. Well, I mean, how does the world thank you both for, for, for Sunday in the park with George and into the woods and passion. And I mean, you know, it's, um, it's endless, the gifts that you have given us and the, I think, uh, you know, particularly for him, when you add on those shows to all the other incredible ones that he's written, it's, it's extraordinary. You know, I, the only show I had seen of Steve's when I met him was Sweeney Todd. I had no idea about all these other shows that he had written. I was a real newbie to the theater and very, you know, very unschooled in musicals, unschooled in the theater. And um, in many ways, I often say that's kind of why we were kind of great partners together because I, he was my education. And um, I think he had somebody coming in who just related to him as who he was at the moment and not because of what he had written. And, um, so it was it was an interesting moment of kismet, I guess, when we were introduced and got to work together. Uh, and I I uh, I just finished a book that I wrote about the two years from when I met Steve to when Sunday in the Park opened, and it was really wonderful to go back those many years and look at that moment in time, look at who we were, look talk to our cast. It was. Um, it was really uh, a wonderful, wonderful period in my life. And I think in an odd way in the theater, because uh, the theater was hurting at that time, particularly the commercial theater. And um, it's I don't know that our show and our uh, the way we worked on it could ever be done today, sadly. Right. Well, to have that kind of time, right? Well, you know, we did it rather quickly. It was... Um, uh, First of all, Steve was, of course, already Steve, so that you know made a big yeah. difference. Yeah. But he went off Broadway, and that was the first time he ever did anything off Broadway, which was a great thrill for him. And I had never done a Broadway show, Lord knows. And um, you know, to sort of get swept up with a very, you know, Sunday is a pretty arty farty show, and to have had it moved to Broadway um, probably could have happened only then because there was such a shortage of shows for theaters. It was when Times Square was kind of falling apart and Broadway was not healthy the way it is today. And um, so we, we also happened to be doing it at a time when people were happy to have a show in their houses. You know, those people being, you know, the Schubert's and the Nederlanders and to a lesser degree, G. Jamson. When Passion won Best Musical, 
Did you expect that? Well, um, you know, it was it was by everyone's admission a kind of weak year for musicals, and um, I guess you know I got I I didn't have any expectations. My expectations for the Tonys went away after Sunday in the Park when we didn't really win anything, and right. um, so uh, you know I just never thought anything. I you know I didn't go to those awards thinking I'll win, I won't win. This will happen. That'll happen. I learned to just uh, take whatever was coming my way. So, um, I mean, you know, sadly, it did not have a very long run passion. And um, to my thinking, that had a lot more to do with the way it was produced than than anything else. But it gave us more of a life than we probably would have had if we hadn't won. So, of course, I was I was happy about that. And you're always happy when, you know, you can know have the people who put their trust and money in you have some kind of reward for it so of course I was thrilled for that reason as well can you think of because it's a very serious serious musical um but I wonder if there were also really fun moments even though you were rehearsing such a serious piece that you can recall of rehearsal oh, room right. laughter yeah. oh absolutely first of all Donna Murphy as you know is hilarious, hilarious. and Marin, who I had worked with before is, is just one of the most special people and um and Jerry was kind of a newbie he, he had done um a couple of shows but he was not out of uh the NYU program for that long but yes we had we had a lot of fun we made a lot of fun jokes about Fosca we laughed about you know who's gonna who's gonna want to see this you know we did we had um I like to have fun when I'm working and I have just as much fun on that one as any other one I did until the audience arrived. Right. So it sounds like that was really brutal for a while, trying to find its um, tone that once you were out of the rehearsal room. Yeah. I have to say um, I took it very personally um, uh, because I had to sit there every night with the audience Mm -hmm. and um, I found that incredibly difficult to be sitting around people who don't like your work. It's like people who don't like your children, you know, and making fun of it because I think they were sort of having the response we were having in the rehearsal room at times because it was, it, it was like, they just, it just, you know, the show starts with two gorgeous naked people in bed making love, you know, and you start a show with that and you go, okay, you know, I, I'm in. And then that's about <laughs> the end of it. Right. You know, um, you don't know where it's heading. And um, so I think that was the thing that was tough. And I found myself, um, and I've never done this since, angry at the audience and angry at people mm-hmm. who are making fun of it. I was constantly turning around in my seat, telling people to be quiet. Uh, I actually got up and went up to the aisle to a woman who was just kept chortling and making cracks about everything the actors were saying. And I just, I just told her to leave, you know, I said, just leave if you don't like this, you know, and it was, it was a bit of a scene. Anyway, um, I guess I had passion for passion. um, My passion really rose to things in myself that I was surprised to see. Um, But you know what, that's where Steve and I were great because Steve, 
couldn't have been more even-tempered. He had been, you know, by then I, I had done a few shows, but he had done been through this when audiences didn't like his work. And we would just sit and we'd go out for a drink after the show and he'd make a list of every time the audience laughed. And we would just very analytically look at that moment and discover why the audience laughed at that moment. It was like putting out fires and you'd, you'd put out a couple of fires and then all a couple others would pop up. But, mm -hmm. um, but really, we just were very analytical about it when I was with him. Of course, he didn't come to every show. I was there for every show. So, right. and usually when he's in the audience, everybody likes it because they know he's there. I don't uh -huh. know. Maybe that's uh -huh. a question, but, um, and, and there were people who loved it, by the way, early on, but um, they were usually our friends or people, you know, they were not, these, this audience were people who had worked all day in an office and, you know, maybe their wife took them to this or for whatever reason, they were there to be taken out of their life. They weren't there to have to examine their life. And yeah. that, I suppose, to some degree is not something that people are used to doing in a musical. Um, right. So I guess that was the situation, frankly. Um, but um, no, you know, when you talk about difficult times, it was no pandemic. Let's just put it that way. It was, mm -hmm. it was a challenge and we rose to the challenge and we came out with a show that we loved and, and did what we hoped it would do. And by that, I mean, we stuck to our guns and, and wrote the show we wanted to write. And, um, you know, you let the chips fall where they may. Everybody's going to have, not everybody's even lucky enough to have successes, but even when you have successes, you also have failures and you, you just have to, you just have to take it all in stride and keep moving forward. What was the most fun about collaborating with Steven? Well, everything was fun for the most part. Um, well, having a partner is fun. Mm -hmm. Having somebody who's that smart and fun. He's so fun and smart and acerbic and, um, you know, droll and uh, keeps you on your toes intellectually. And um, really, he had kind of a reputation when I first met him as being kind of a doer person. But um, that's not the person I got to know. I actually, uh, I think people are lucky enough to know him and have him as a friend find him incredibly delightful and generous. And, um, and I just think, uh, for me, it was an exposure to a world I didn't know. You know, it was, um, I was living down in a funky loft, you know, in the financial district and, you know, going for the first time being in a townhouse, you know, um, just, just on that level of being exposed to a whole other kind of class of people and that part of New York you always kind of fantasize about, you know, uh, but never got to see. And so it was really, uh, I'd have to say it's one of the great blessings of my life, obviously getting to work with him, but getting to have him as a friend because he is the most loyal and uh, friend you could have and the most fun. He's just a lot of fun. Well, I have to say to you, you have just described how everyone who knows you describes you generous <laughs> and loyal and funny and kind uh, and brilliant. So there you go. Well, um, you know, maybe I got it all from him. I, I learned a lot about 
generosity from Steve and mm-hmm. um, uh, and modesty and um, and sometimes I I find some things coming out of my mouth that are pure Steve that I'm not so happy are coming out of my mouth. But um, you know uh, that's very. What do you kind. mean by that? Well, he's as, as I said acerbic. He can say some very funny but sharp and you know. Um, maybe critical things about people and things, I see. you know, as New Yorkers can. Yes. And um, that's one thing I, I think I absorbed as well. And sometimes I hear myself saying something that's not so generous and then I kind of wish I hadn't, but uh, you know, it's not, not, I wouldn't say it to you on the air, of course. <laughs> okay. Well, when we stop recording, I want to hear all the, the nasty things that oh, come along okay. with having a Metro card. If you're a New Yorker, um, James Lapine, I I hinted at it before, but I think I speak for the world when I say that the work that you've created, the masterpieces um, that live for for generations uh, to come, um, thank you. I could go on and on, but thank you for your beautiful work and changing my life. Um, and before we go, um, I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions that I, that I end every episode with, um, that are, you're going to know all the answers, I promise. And if you don't, we'll, we'll phone a friend. Okay. All right. Okay. So you mentioned earlier that Bernadette Peters presented your Tony award for best book of a musical in, uh, the 1994 Tony award ceremony Mm -hmm. for passion. Do you remember who presented with her? Lord, no. Not a clue. Okay. It was Martin Short. Does that oh, ring a bell well, now? If you asked me to guess, I would probably would have guessed Martin Short, to be perfectly honest. All or right. I'm going to ask you Mandy. again. I'm going to ask you again. James Lapine, <laughs> do you remember who presented your Tony Award to you alongside Bernadette Peters? Of course I remember, Alana. Who could forget a momentous occasion like that? It was Martin Short. Oh, my God. I knew you'd remember. Uh, Who (laughs) did you bring to the Tonys that night? Oh, my wife. Uh, I think I – I don't know if I brought my daughter or not. I I don't think she came, but I brought my wife. You used um, just two tickets. You did not ask for more. No, no. And I think one of the – a couple of those years I brought my daughter and then she – didn't have any interest in coming again, which I think is a good thing. So, uh, yeah, uh, I'm sure Sarah was there. Sarah, Sarah, my wife is always, she likes to, you know, she likes the whole dress up part of the occasion. So uh-huh. It's nice to give her that. Um, where is you, where are your Tonys? Where do you keep them and your Pulitzer and, and the many, many awards that you win? Um, there, those are in a bookshelf in my apartment. Not, not prominently displayed my wife has won two oscars so we have all the really prestigious ones in one tiny little cubicle in our in our um uh dining room and then everything else is sort of if i have them in my office i'm sort of sorry i don't know how i well anyway a lot of them i lost track of my dad took i gave a lot to my dad Mm. and when he passed away my brother not maliciously sold the apartment, but forgot to get all that stuff. <laughs> so that it was sold as is, and in your case, that means yes. Pulitzer's I'm and running around with a lot of Tony nomination certificates and things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very happy for them. 
James Lapine, thank you so much for being on And the Tony Goes To. What a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you, my friend. You You made it fun and you made me feel good. So thank you. You're welcome. And the Tony Goes To is produced by Alan Seals for the Broadway Podcast Network. The music and lyrics for the theme song were written by Georgia Famusa. Theme song orchestration by Alexander Sage Oyen. Episodes are edited by Derek Gunther. Thank you to Parody Bill for the graphics. And please don't forget to go to the iTunes show page and rate and review the show. Thanks for listening. Excerpt from the Tony Awards used with permission of Tony Awards Productions. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.